welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 11th of January 2015, entitled Motive Action. And the Bible readings are taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 and chapter 5 verse 21. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. We'll be looking at these verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 through chapter 5, verse 21, and I'd like to begin by just reading the first and the last of that reading, the verses this morning, and then we'll look at really all the reasons in between as to why those simple statements can be made. I invite you to stand this morning to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. The word of God says, therefore, seeing... We have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. And then in verse 21 of chapter 5, he says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Again, Father, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word. Lord, we come dependent totally upon you and upon the power of your Spirit to speak to our hearts. You know the needs of each heart. You know exactly what we need today. We entrust that to you and pray that you would meet those needs as only you can. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. I guess many times that as we embark upon a new year on the calendar, that many times we spend some time looking back at what The past year has brought us the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows. And we look to the new year ahead and wonder maybe what is in store for us. It's a time many times when people make new resolutions because as they look back and there's things that maybe they wanted to do or they should have done that they didn't do and they want to make fresh commitments to do those things in the future, But of course, as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to recognize and just be reminded today that with whatever else that we're considering, with whatever else that we're looking back at what this past year has been, has done, what's been accomplished and what hasn't been accomplished as we think, may I just remind you this morning from God's Word that The Apostle Paul says, seeing we, you and I, the believers, have this ministry. And as we have received mercy, we faint not. We have this ministry. There is no question there. It's not a possibility. We have this ministry, and we'll see that he will elaborate on that more in these verses, but My question this morning is, okay, we have it. What are we going to do with it? Do we sometimes feel faint-hearted? Yes. It's natural, but Paul says here, we faint not. We have this ministry. We faint not. In other words, he said, we have this ministry and we are not going to quit We will not lose heart. We will not surrender. 
Yes, we will see that he will point out there will be struggles, there will be battles, there will be tough times, many things will come against us, but we will not give up and we will not give in. The ministry that we have is too important. The consequences of not doing it are too dire. There's simply too much at stake. What Christ has done for us is too great, for he hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, him who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, what he has given us as he reminds us here through his mercy and grace, it's too valuable. It's too precious. To faint is to fail. And whatever else that we might succeed and fail at and whatever else that we set in our focus and whatever else we determine to do, we cannot fail at this ministry that has been given to us. We not only should not, we must not. It must not even be an option. You see, as we think of a year ahead, much of what we do or don't do, what we accomplish or what we don't accomplish, our successes and our failures, our satisfactions and our disappointments, our living life to the fullest, faltering along the way, it depends greatly upon the motivating forces that are driving us, what it is that's really important to us, what it is that's driving our force, what it is that we really want our lives to accomplish. You see, motivation is extremely important in whatever we go to do. There will be motivating factors in your life, and they will drive you to do the things or not do the things that you do. All kind of things can motivate us. Some are positive, some are negative. Some are seen and some are completely unseen. Some are shallow and really temporal and, and unimportant and some are deep and, and lasting and have eternal consequences. If you were to travel up into the North Sea Oceans around Greenland, you'd find that there are many icebergs that float in the water up there, all different sizes, some small and, and some huge. At times, you can actually see some of those smaller icebergs that will be flowing in one direction, and while these big, huge ones are flowing in the opposite direction, you say, well, how is that possible? Because many of them, those small ones that are just floating on the top, their direction has changed by the wind. Whatever way the wind is blowing, that's the way those big chunks of ice move. But those really big ones, they're grounded so deep, <laughs> the wind has no effect on them. It's those lower currents that are taking them in, a, in the specific direction. They have depth. The wind can blow as it will, but it won't change their direction because it has no control over what direction that they 
might move. We find that that's the same in our lives many times. You see, sometimes we're just carried along by the surface winds that blow our way. There will be winds that will blow in your life this year. Some of those winds may be gale force winds. Sometimes you may feel that you're in a, in a hurricane and the forces, you just can't control it. Well, if you're anchored in shallow water, if your anchor doesn't run deep, those winds will move you about. They'll change your direction. They'll take you in places that maybe you didn't even intend to go. But may I say to you that if the motivation, the force that is moving you Rather than being those shallow surface winds, if they come from the depth, if they come from the depth of God's Word, those winds won't change your direction. <laughs> those winds can have no control over you. And that's what we see to, need to seek. You see, some people are motivated by just a, a desperate situation. <laughs> the story of the paratrooper, he was speaking to a bunch of young recruits, and they asked him the question, well, when did you make your very first jump to get up the nerve to jump 20,000 feet out of the air? And he said, I made my first jump when I was 20,000 feet in the air and three engines died on the airplane. <laughs> he was motivated to get out of there, <laughs> something that was beyond his control. The teenager lost his contact. He was out playing basketball and, and he lost his contact and he looked everywhere and he couldn't find it. He goes in the house and he says, Mom, Mom, I've looked everywhere. I've really, I've searched and I can't find it. She goes outside. A few minutes later, she comes back in and she's got his contact. He says, how did you do that? He said, I looked everywhere. I couldn't find it. She said, well, you were looking for a little piece of plastic. I was looking for 150 pounds. <laughs> she was motivated at a different level to accomplish what she was there for. I remember reading the story of Bob Kuchenberger, who's a former Miami Dolphin NFL football, American football player. And in his interview, he was being asked what it was that encouraged him to make that step to commit to go to college and to become a professional and whatnot. He said, well, when he was a kid, his dad and his uncle were both members of the circus. They used to be these guys that get shot out of a cannonball <laughs> into a net. And he said, my dad told me one day, he said, you either got to go to college or you're going to be a cannonball. <laughs> he said, I was thinking about that. So my uncle went out of the cannon one day and he missed the net. He said, I decided I was going to college. <laughs> he was motivated by the consequences. Some are motivated by the value of something. Some are motivated by the consequences that might be. Some are motivated by fear. Some are motivated like the company in Michigan that had 50 employees. They couldn't figure out how to get people to work on time. Well, they only put 45 parking spaces. Everybody got to work on time because at least five people weren't going to have anywhere to park if they got there. They were motivated to get there on time article that was written in the San Francisco Chronicle one time, I quote, every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the fastest lion or it'll be killed. 
Every morning a lion wakes up. It knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle or he's going to starve to death. doesn't matter whether you're a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better start running. They're motivated by totally different forces, but they both have strong motivation. One other, the museum that put up the sign that says, do not touch. Well, what happens when you see a sign that says, do not touch? You want to reach out and touch and see why. And, you know, what do we do to get people to quit touching these? They just simply change the sign and it said, caution, wash hands after touching. People quit touching. <laughs> Tell them not to, they'll do it. But they were suddenly motivated not to touch it. We find that people are motivated by many things that can happen to them or not happen to them. But I remember reading the story of Harry Emerson Fosdick. He once told the house a child, his mother sent him out to pick a quart of raspberries in the field. Man, he drug himself out there, and he wasn't very happy about it. His whole afternoon had been ruined. But then he got out there, and a thought hit him. He says, I'm going to surprise Mom. Instead of just picking that quart, I'm going to pick two quarts of raspberries, and I'm going to take her back twice as many as she's expecting. He not only picked the raspberries, he actually enjoyed picking those raspberries. Now, the job was the same. It hadn't changed one bit. The task at hand had changed. The only thing that had changed was his attitude. Rather than doing something because he had to do it, he was doing something because he wanted to make somebody else happy. He wanted to do it for someone else. You see, this year is going to be filled with all kinds of motivational factors in your life. Things are going to change your attitude and change your direction and take you in the directions that you go. But Paul is talking about here when, when he says, seeing therefore that we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we ain't not. You see, He's talking about more than just those surface winds for motivating forces. He's talking about motivation because so many times we're motivated to think about something. We're even motivated to intend something. But he's talking here about being motivated to do something. We have this ministry. We faint not. We can't fail. We can't quit. We can't give up. The stakes are too high. You see, it is one thing to know what to do. We must all know what to do. And spiritually, there's one place that we find the answers to what to do. But it's another to do it. Be ye not hearers only, but doers of God's word. You see... You can even set a new resolution that you're going to read your Bible every day. And you can read it. I can stand up here and, and, and preach my heart out about the things that you ought to do and try to spell it out as clear as God would allow me. We can have all the best intentions in the world, but unless we actually do something about it, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that we know it. 
if we're not going to use it, if it doesn't affect our lives, if it doesn't change our lives, if it doesn't make us something different than who we are on our own, good intentions and procrastination simply won't get the job done. We have this ministry. When you stop to think about it, in his book, Dennis Whitley says this. He says, when you stop to think about it, there's no such thing as a future decision. You face only present decisions that will affect what will happen in the future. Procrastinators wait for just the right moment to decide. If you wait for the perfect moment, you become a security seeker who is running in place, going through the motions, and getting deeper in your rut. If I wait for every objection to be overcome, I will end up attempting nothing. He says his personal motto is stop stewing and start doing. <laughs> stop stewing over it and do something about it. He says, I can't be depressed and active at the same time. And he likes changing the word motivation. And this is where I borrowed the title for today's sermon from him. <laughs> he likes changing motivation and adding a C, and after that, A, motive action. <laughs> motive action. In other words, instead of just being motivated to think about something, let's be motivated to do something to actually change our lives, to, to be what God wants us to be. He says everybody's looking for new ways to get motivated. Companies and corporations pay sizable fees to consultants who try to make their personnel more productive and fire up their salespeople. A motivated person thinks, I'm going to try it. But motivation must turn to motive action. Nothing will happen. See, too many times we know what to do, but we just don't do it. The poem says, I spent a fortune on a trampoline, a stationary bike, and a rowing machine, complete with gadgets to read my pulse and gadgets to prove my progress results, and others to show the miles I've charted, but they left off the gadget to get me started. It can all be right there right at the fingertips. You see it. You know it. It'll work. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> but that extra size machine is not going to do you any good until you get on it. Doesn't matter how good it is. Doesn't matter how successful you can be. You got to get on it. You got to do something with it. What are the driving forces in your life today? What will be the driving force in your life today, tomorrow, and throughout this year before us? What will motivate you to action in this ministry that we have been given? Not just to say with all the best intentions of the world that I'm going to do better. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to carry this through. Paul says, seeing that we have this ministry and in light of the mercy that God has shown to us, we faint not. What was it that could make the apostle 
under inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he's writing this, to make such a statement and follow through with it. Well, I want to point you just to a couple of simple things here that will hopefully encourage you. Challenge, yes. But today, you see, you can say the same thing that the Apostle Paul is saying here. And you can actually carry it through. But in order to do so, you must be motivated by the right things to action just as he was. There must be the right driving forces in your life if it's going to be accomplished. What were some of those motivating factors in his life? What drove the Apostle Paul and that in turn should drive us today. What can motivate you to action, to this ministry that has been given to you as a child of God? Well, I just want to read a few passages from you, and I want us to take from that because, you see, remember this. You can be all that you can be. You can. But I want you to know the day you can be more than you can be <laughs> through him and in him. So as you embark upon this new year, you can set your standards if you want to be all that you can be. But I'm encouraging you to set your goals and your standards to be all that he can be through you that far, far, far exceeds anything that you can do yourself. What were some of those motivating factors? Well, notice, first of all, as we just read some of these verses, listen to what he's saying. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Semicolon, the thought carries on. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. What was the first motivating factor in the apostle's life that needs to be ours? Can I simply say the power of God? The power of God. He's reminding us here of that gospel and that if it's hid, it's hid to them that need it the most. It's hid to them that are lost. It's hid to them that will cost them an eternity away from God if they don't have it. He's reminding us with all that God has done for us, this ministry that we have, 
in sharing Jesus Christ to others. This light that is shown in our hearts, in our lives, it must be given to them. But it's not of our power. It's of God's power. I'm saying that the first motivating factor in your life, if you're going to be able to say as the Apostle Paul that we have this ministry, we will not faint then it's got to be the power of God that's in control of your life and not your power. Not doing it, not with all the best intentions, not with all the, the greatest things that you can accomplish. But the motivating factor is be that God is doing what he alone can do through your life, that he has control of your life, that he is the power, the driving force behind your life. That's easier said than done. We have all of our own ideas. We have all of our own intentions. But I believe that the first factor we see in the Apostle Paul's life is that the force that was driving his life wasn't his power. It was God's power. It was the power of God. And I want you to notice next, I believe that he gives us another very important motivating factor in his life. He goes on and he says, we are troubled on every side. Boy, <laughs> does that one hit home? <laughs> You feel like sometimes the trouble is just piling up. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed. Sometimes we don't have the answers. We don't know what to do, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Oh, this old body's dying anyway. <laughs> but you see, it's only the death of Christ that gives us life. And it's that life that must shine forth. Notice what he says, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh, that people can see that life which is beyond anything this flesh has. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God for which cause we faint not. Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. <laughs> you can't do anything about the perishing of this outward man. It's just happening. It's the result of that first sin in the garden. It is perishing. But you see, the inward man, he's not perishing. He's getting renewed day by day. He's maturing. He's growing. He's getting stronger. He's getting better all the time. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. 
For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What was another motivating factor in the apostle's life here? Not only was it the power of God that was driving him, but it was his perspective on life. (laughs) Oh, yes. There's all kind of troubles. There's all kind of challenges. There's all kind of difficulty. There's a whole lot of these big winds that are blowing and trying to move us about and trying to destroy us. But there's something that is deeper in me. I know. I know that God's in control. I know that I trust him. You see, it's the attitude. You can't avoid the problems, the challenges, the difficulties. They're going to be there. And we don't always handle them the best way that we should. But the truth is, if we're going to truly not faint, we've got to have God's perspective and not ours. Our perspective on life has got to be through him. Is he really in control? Is he really allowing these things in my life for a reason? No, I might be perplexed. I may not understand it. I may not feel like I can go on. But I know that he's there. You see, the devil's going to try to get you to focus on those temporal things, those things that you can see, all the problems, all the difficulties, all the things that's really getting the best of you and getting on top of you right now. That's what he wants you to look at. And you see, you know all the truths. And this is the hard thing sometimes. This is where we began a while ago that it's one thing to know these things, to have sat there, to read it in your Bible, to have heard it preached, to have been taught, to know all of these things, but are they motivating you to action? Are they reality in your life? It's one thing to know them. It's another thing to do them. You know the outlook that you should have on life. But how are you really looking at it? How do you really see all those temporal things that are coming in your life? I'm saying to you that you can be more. You don't have to be thrown about by those winds. You can be motivated by a much deeper force that those winds can't affect. The motivating forces in your life needs to be the power of God and not your own. God's power is sufficient. It needs to be having a perspective on life that he's giving you and not that natural one that you see with your physical eyes. Notice something else here. In chapter 5, he gives us another one of those motivating factors. He says, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, in other words, he's talking about here this earthly tabernacle, this, this tent, the picture that he's giving here is literally if this tent that we're living in right now, if it's taken down and it's not there anymore. He says, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Even if this old temporal tabernacle is totally gone, if it's dissolved completely, we have a house not made with hands. We have a place to dwell in in the heavens that's eternal that will never dissolve. When this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up in life. In other words, I'm not going around with a death wish. (laughs) 
I'm not going around looking to die. But what I'm really looking for is to have that glorified body, that eternal body. I'm listening for the trumpet. I'm looking for the sound. I know there's something far more than this simple temporal body that I'm in right now. He goes on. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, that down payment. He sealed it. Therefore we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. What is the motivating factor here? Oh, yes. The power of God is a motivating factor in his life and his perspective on life. But may I say here, the presence of God. He says, I know. I know that no matter what happens in this life, life or death, I don't have a death wish. It's not that I'm wishing for this one to be put down. I'm just wishing for that eternal one to be put on. Even if this one disappears, I've got one that's eternal that nobody can get to. I've got a home in heaven, an eternal home. I know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He doesn't have a desk with. He just has a desire to be present with God. God's presence in his life. And, of course, God's present with us all the time through the Holy Spirit that, that lives within us and all those things. We need God's presence in our life. But when we get this perspective in life that we realize, hey, what can they do to me? The worst they can do is take away this old temporal body, but God's given me a permanent one. To be absent from this one is to be present with him. I'm not looking to lay down and die, but I'm looking to put on that which is eternal, praise God. You see, the motivating force in his life, the power of God, his perspective on life, the presence of God. I notice what he says in the next two verses. Wherefore, we labor. We work. Why? That whether present or absent, whether in this body or out of this body, regardless of what's taking place, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You see, what he's saying here... <laughs> We labor. Whatever else is going on, dead or alive in this body, then whatever we do, all that we do, we do it. Our force, our goal is that we may be accepted of him, that we might be pleasing to him, that we might be well-pleasing. We've looked at that passage before in the past, that ambition to please God is what we call it. You see, that's the motivating force here is not pleasing him, not doing what's going to make me happy and me feel good and me feel successful. What I'm doing is to please God that I might be accepted of him. I'm going to stand before him one day. I'm going to give an account for everything that I do in this life. And what's important to me is not whether I'm succeeding in my eyes and man's eyes. It's whether I'm succeeding in his eyes, whether I'm accepted of him or not. What's the motivating force in what you're doing with your life? to be accepted of man, to be accepted of this world, 
be okay in its eyes and their eyes to please man or to please God, to be accepted of him. You see, we have this ministry. When we consider the mercy and the grace of God that he's poured out on us, we can't quit. We can't lose heart. We've got to press on. We faint not. Because the force that is controlling our lives, the forces that are driving us, is the power of God. It's our perspective on life that he's given us, not this natural world. It's the presence of God in our lives and in the future. And it's being pleasing to God. Notice what he says next. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, but I trust also are made manifest in your conscience, for we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart, for whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. You see, the other driving force, that motivating force, that Motive action in his life was the persuading of men to God's glory. The persuading of men, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. He's here talking about that reverential respect, knowing who God is and knowing all that God is. We persuade men. The driving force is to encourage those, to persuade those that don't know God to come to know him. That's his motivating force. He's not sitting back all satisfied and happy just because he's saved and he's on his way to heaven and he's got nothing to worry about. He says, knowing, knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing God, knowing all the consequences of knowing God or not knowing God, he said, we persuade men. Not for our glory, not so you can see that we're doing something, not so you can see that we're such a goody-goody Christian, but for his glory. Too many times, even when we want to go and persuade somebody to come to know Christ, we can have the wrong motivation. It's a pretty good motivation not to want them to go to hell. It's not God's will that any should perish. But that's not the greatest motivation greatest motivation is done for his glory. That's the driving force for all that God has done. Knowing him and all that he's done, we persuade men. Notice what he says in verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we, just, we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. He's already glorified now. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You see, 
We could pick a lot of things out of there, but I want you to grab this one underlying motivation as to what he's saying there. Will the love of Christ constraineth us? You see, he's being propelled by the love of Christ. When he stops and is reminded of how much that Christ loved him, I want to tell you something. Love is a powerful force in our lives. You know, we hear these sayings about love being blind and all kinds of things, and there's a reason for that. It's because love is so powerful. What is it? What is it that constrains us? What is it that drives us? What is that force? He says it's the love of Christ that constrains me, that compels me, that drives me. The love of Christ. When I'm reminded of how much he loves me. You see, why, we, why in the Bible, why are we told to love our enemies? <laughs> to love them that despitefully use us. To pray for them. Why are we told? Because of the power of love. What is it that is driving us? What is it that is compelling us? He says there's this compelling force in my life. It's the love of Christ. How can I? We have this ministry. <laughs> when I think of the love of Christ and how much he loved me, though I don't deserve it, he, he knew. He knew the thoughts that would be in your mind right now here this morning. He knew exactly what you'd be doing. He knew exactly everything that would be going on in your life. He knew every time that you'd get it wrong, every time that you'd fail him, every time you thought the wrong thought. He knew all of that, and yet he still loved you so much that he laid down and died for you. We know that. But is it really something that is a driving force in our life? Is it that real to us? Is it something that's genuine in our lives? We have this ministry. He says, we won't faint because of the power of God. Because of our perspective on life. Because of the presence of God. Because we're doing it to be pleasing to him. Because of the persuading of men to come to Christ. Because we are propelled by the love of Christ. And finally, he says, picking up in verse 18, he says, and all things are of God. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of what? Of reconciliation. We have this ministry. What's the ultimate end to all of our ministry? Of everything we do for God and everything we do for others is that they might be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Let us never, ever, ever forget that. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Why? Because he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. <laughs> That's the underlying purpose. That's why he's done it all. 
is that we might be reconciled to him. That him that knew no sin became sin for us so that we could know his righteousness. You see, we have this ministry. We faint not. Motivational force that made the Apostle Paul say that will help us today is because when we look at the position that we hold. He said, you are an ambassador of Christ. You are Jesus Christ's personal representative. How are you representing him today? There is no question that as a child of God, you are an ambassador. You are a representative of Jesus Christ in this world. The question is, how well are you upholding that position? If you are his personal representative, which is what an ambassador is, then what is the world truly seeing of Christ in your life? You see, the truth is, is that the Apostle, Paul, Apostle Paul could make this statement. We have this ministry. And in light of God's mercy towards each of us, in light of what God has done for us, in light of what Jesus Christ did for us when he died upon the cross, we ain't not. We won't give up. We won't quit. We'll carry it through. And you see, there's two things from that this morning. I want you to realize and, and, and realize truly from God's word that that is a challenge to you. He's not asking you just to be all that you can be. That's a nice little token, be all that you can be. But no, he's asking you to be more than you can be. He's asking you to be all that he can be through you. In the year ahead, you've been given a ministry to represent Jesus Christ to this world. There is no shadow. You've been given it. We as a church have been given it. We can feel sorry for ourselves for all the past failings and all that we haven't done and all the things that have gone wrong, but we can't change any of that. But where do we go from here? What is going to be the driving force? We can carry right on. We can let our lives be what they have been. We can fight the same battles and do the same things and struggle on through, and if you're saved, one day you'll go to heaven. But I'm saying this year can be a whole lot more. We have this ministry. It's been given to us. And in light of all that Jesus Christ has done for us, we must not faint. We can't faint. And we won't faint. Just as the Apostle Paul said, if we allow these deep motivating factors to be the driving force with our life and not the winds that are blowing on the surface, not the things that we can see, but the unseen things of God, the power of God, our perspective on life, the presence of God, being pleasing to God, persuading men, propelled by his love and the position that we hold as his personal representative. I didn't make any of those up. And there's a whole lot more in there as well. These are just trying to skim the surface of these verses. Paul's saying, we can't quit. We won't quit. And these are the reasons why. I close this morning with another illustration. 
took place in 1944 towards the end of World War II. And the fact was is that, as I read this, it was in late October. There was a platoon of soldiers that had received a call from headquarters. And the orders was that they were to recapture this small French city from the Nazis. And of course, he learned some other things that for weeks, the French resistance had been going in there and risking their lives and gathering the information, finding out where all of their fortifications were, finding out the information that would be useful to these soldiers when they went in. And of course, all those efforts had provided them with a detailed map of the city. Just a map, names of the streets and all of that, but also it showed the enemy's defensive positions and where they were, where their weak points and their strong points were, where the snipers were, block by block. And of course these men, they, they looked at this map and they looked at what was going to be facing them and they studied it for a matter of minutes and then they went into battle. Because of that information, they were able to go in and recapture that town because they knew where the enemy was. Some years later, matter of fact, it was some 30 years after the fact, there was one of these scientific surveys that wanted to see, you know, well, you know, these, these, these soldiers, I mean, they only had that map for, you know, minutes before that they went in and took that city. They went back to the same city. They used the same map. But this time, instead of soldiers, they gave it to tourists. And instead of a few minutes, they let them study it for hours. And then they sent them into that city to see if they could point out all of these things. They remembered hardly any of it, even though they'd studied for hours. Why? Because to them, it was just a survey. <laughs> but to those others, it was a matter of not only their life, but the lives of their comrades and the lives of those people they were going in to set free. You see, the map showed exactly the same thing. But the motivating force was very, very different indeed. You can know. You can have God's roadmap before you. You can know everything, where the enemy's at, and all that he's going to do. But what is the motivating force? Is it a matter of life and death to us, not just our lives, but those around us? What is the force that is driving us in our lives? You see, therefore, seeing we, you and I, today, January of 2015, we have this ministry. Others have gone before us. And if God tarries, others will come after. But right now, we, you and I, have this ministry. And as we have received mercy, as we recognize all that God has done for us, can we say as the Apostle Paul, we ain't not. We won't lose heart. We won't lay down. We won't get sidetracked. We faint not. Why? Because he has made him, God has made Jesus Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. As I look at your faces this morning, 
You need to know something. You've heard me say it week after week after week after week after week. Just knowing what Jesus Christ did is not enough. Just believing that he was who he was, that isn't enough. Oh, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. <laughs> you see, when you commit your life to him, if you're here today, <laughs> you, you can leave here today. You see, in actual fact, I began with that simple statement that I read from that little excerpt from a book that there really are no future decisions. You'll make a decision today that will affect your future, but the decision you're going to make right now. You can try to put it off, but you're making a decision right now. And I encourage you here today. I plead with you here today that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't leave this place with that uncertainty in your life. You don't have to. You don't need to. You can know him today. We'd love to take God's word and show you how you can have that assurance in your life. And Christian, maybe you have been being beat up on. Maybe the winds have been howling and blowing you all over the place, and sometimes you feel like you've got so little control of your life. Well, those storms are going to be there. Those winds are going to be there. What's the driving force in your life, though? Are those the things that are going to drive you? Or is it those deeper things that will not be affected by those surface winds? Will it be the motivating factors that were driving the Apostle Paul that he could make that statement? Can you make that statement today knowing that these are the motivating factors in your life? You see, you can be. You can be everything that God wants you to be, not just what you want to be. You can be all that he wants you to be in him. Today, this coming year, if you're all that he wants you to be, then you'll be everything that you need to be. Don't let the winds blow you about. Don't let them get you discouraged and distressed because they might be bad and they might be strong and they might be terrible. You may not understand them. But if you've got Jesus Christ, who began with that opening hymn, The Solid Rock, <laughs> All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock, I stand. Father, we thank you today. Lord, there's so much in these passages, and I, I just thank you, Lord, that Lord, that in my heart you use these familiar verses to speak to my heart. Yes, to challenge me, Lord, but also to encourage and show that it's not just something that we can know. It can be real. When your God is real, when, when your word is real, when your power is real in our lives. So I pray today, you know every heart. I pray, Lord, that it'll not just be words that we hear and go about, that we may have heard them. And Lord, I, I know that that's all I can offer this morning is words. We depend upon you and the power of your spirit to do anything in hearts today. And I pray, Lord, for your glory and your glory alone you would do the work in hearts that only you can. And I pray that each one here today, Lord, that when your word speaks to their heart, that they'll respond in the way that they truly need to. We give you the praise, the thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.